On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat again with Kelsey Larrick from 365 Holdings. Uh, they have been doing uh, a great job aggregating uh, in the e-commerce and D2C space. We had a conversation all around what the heck is going on in uh, 2023. Uh, we talked about uh, you know, them potentially buying distressed businesses, what that looks like, what valuations even look like right now, what the M&A market looks like. We went through all of it. If you guys own a business, you are going to want to listen to this one. Are you an e-commerce founder or marketing leader struggling to get new offers or creative and copy to test fast enough in your ad accounts? Do you feel like your ad campaigns are falling flat and not generating the results that you actually need this year? The pain of not being able to effectively test and optimize your ad campaigns can lead to tons of missed sales and a huge amount of lost revenue, but we've created a solution. Introducing the Viral Offer Bundle from Upgrowth Commerce. For just $99, you're going to receive 10 highly engaging image creatives, 30 scroll-stopping headlines, 30 captivating ad copy variations, and 30 ad descriptions. These powerful tools are going to help you quickly test and optimize your ad campaigns to get the best results possible. Do not miss out on another sale. Visit www.upgrowthcommerce.com slash offer to buy today and then start seeing that relief from your ad campaign pain. Again, that's upgrowthcommerce.com slash offer. Hey guys, are you struggling to create offers that actually convert? Look no further than our must-have brand new course called Million Dollar Offers. With just a few short videos, you're going to learn the seven essential elements of a million dollar offer and how to leverage the power of AI and chat GPT to iterate on your headlines and your prompts. The great news is that this course is actually completely free. So Google Upgrowth Academy, that's Upgrowth Academy, and look for the course called Million Dollar Offers. You guys will not regret this one. Now on to today's episode. Hey guys, Jordan West back with another episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand. Today I'm joined by somebody who has been on the podcast before and I begged and begged and begged to have him back. Kelsey Larrick from 365 Holdings. Kelsey, Welcome back. Thanks for uh, having me back. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, um, thanks for coming on. Sure. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to this to this conversation. Uh, for people who you know didn't listen to the first episode, that was probably a couple of years ago, and don't know anything about you, tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do. For sure. I'm a co-founder and serve as the CEO of 365 Holdings. We're an Ohio-based hold co for e-commerce brands. So a lot of folks might be familiar with like the aggregator concept, very popular in Amazon. Uh, so we roll up or acquire consumer products brands, primarily selling on the internet. For us, that's a D2C focus. We're about 85% e-commerce, about 15% Amazon and wholesale. Uh, we have a really diverse portfolio, everything from um, hair care products to uh, baby products to uh, emergency food to fermentation supplies and, and more. So uh, very broad uh, base of businesses. There's nine in the portfolio today. We have a big focus on vertical integrations. We have a large team here in Ohio. We do everything from manufacturing in some cases to pick back and ship, wow. customer service, product development, supply chain, kind of the whole nine yards. Uh, we have not taken any outside capital. So unlike maybe the venture scale folks, uh, we've got a more conservative approach to looking for uh, businesses we're interested in owning and we want to hold on to them for the long term. Cool, cool. That's great. So does, do those nine businesses include all of these ancillary like 3PL and all of those, or are these nine brands that you guys have? Nine brands. Yep. 
Okay. Okay. See, if I were saying it, I, I love to, to, you know, inflate things a little bit. So I would have named all of those other businesses too. So I good, good for if you. If we count the number of like LLCs filed, it'd be, it'd be a big number. Um, we, we have a conference business now, uh, the 3PL is separate, there's some corporate structure going on. So there's, there's a few things in the mix, nine brands. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. That's great. Well, I really enjoy my conversations with you and I'm really looking forward to diving in today. You know, we're recording this and this is actually probably going to come out fairly soon here. We're recording this guys in uh, sort of mid April of 2023 right now. And, and this is a very interesting year. Uh, you know, and last year was too, and we're, we're in the midst of, of a potential R word right now that we don't really talk about. And yet, you know, people are seeing, uh, you know, a lot of brands that I'm talking to, you know, I saw a a buddy of mine who had done around 20 million last year saying, yeah, I'm down 35% this year, but at least I'm profitable. Like that is not, that is not the, uh, they're not the exception uh, yeah. from what I have seen uh, out there. And so um, I'm really looking forward to diving into kind of what things look like um, right now. Uh, let's start on the acquisition side. What are you seeing when you're taking a look at businesses that are out there? Um, yeah, deal flow is definitely different than it has been. Prices uh, are down. So with rates going up and with less buyers in the market, particularly the aggregators, who many of which uh, have laid off m and teams or have just stopped uh, buying, uh, there's less uh, bid pressure pushing prices up, and there's more conservative valuation expectations from sellers and from brokers. Uh, those sellers with good businesses that uh, have less motivation to sell, um, many of them are choosing to wait to see if the market turns around, if bids come back up, rates come down, whatever the case might be. Uh, there could be more value to capture by waiting a little bit. So it seems like a, a softer, slower market. We see a good bit of distressed. Uh, or troubled deal flow, uh, but generally it's a little softer this year. Gotcha. Let's get into that distressed deal flow right now because I think that there are a lot of companies, you know, just from what I was saying about yeah. my, you know, one of my buddies' companies out there. There's a lot of companies out there that are that are very distressed right now. What do you look for? Because you, you know, I'm what I'm picturing is these founders being like, okay, do I just close? Right? Mm-hmm. Do I just just you know go go bankrupt, take my my losses yeah. if there's maybe some personal liability there or something? Uh, or do I, or I look for somebody to potentially take over? What, what, what? Uh, sorry, what was once a a profitable business? Yeah. Uh, so we see uh, maybe two or three categories of those. Uh, category one is what you described. Once was profitable, now has some headwinds, and I put those in category one. Category two, I would say, was never profitable. Always raised money. Was maybe venture capital fueled and has um, spent more than they raised and revenue combined. And like, there's just, there's no no runway left. Um, Those are usually a little different because kind of the DNA of those companies is a little different. Kind of the scrappy operator who may be self-funded or friends and family money or some loans. Usually it's in a different situation than somebody that raised five, eight, 10, 15, $20 million from a a VC. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So I I look at those differently. And I think those founders from my experience uh, have behaved differently in how they approach being in trouble because they usually have a different set of uh, emotions about the situation and a different set of like kind of risk and downside and upside thoughts uh, about their entrepreneurial endeavor. And bucket one, it's usually a very earnest kind of owner operator model. And bucket two, it's kind of part of the venture capital game. Like not all those businesses always work out. And it's somewhat understood by the investors and even the operators that it's, it's a low probability of, of high outcome and it's a, it's a numbers game. Um, so we've seen a, a fair number of both of those. We've also seen um, transactions brought to us by lenders where uh, they've got a lien on a business that's distressed and it's not yet uh, ready to be liquidated, but the lender wants to protect their interest. 
and uh, let's look uh, for a workout solution. Yeah, I've had a lot of <laughs> I've had a lot of lenders come to me with those yeah. too, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, interesting. So I'm assuming that you're staying away from bucket two right now. Is that is that correct? We're really opportunistic. I'll, I'll look at anything that makes sense. Uh, really, the question is, do, is there a viable business? Can we project forward on a right sized cost structure and a, a clean new balance sheet? Can we project forward? Uh, contribution margin that to us is enticing and valuable enough and interesting enough to go go pursue. Uh, I saw one recently where in the lifetime of the business, there was no contribution margin. They took all the capital raised and all the revenue and they spent all of it on uh, cogs and ads and the right, like, it just didn't make any sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that, that's, that's tough to make that one pencil out. Uh, whether it, it's venture backed or not, we as an opportunistic buyer just kind of underwrite to is there a future for this business in our world? We right size the PL, we clean up the balance sheet, can we make it work? Um, yeah. The real question for the founders like, do they have downside they're trying to, to protect uh, in the form of like a guaranteed loan or a credit card? Um, and then how do they make the best of it? Like, how do they protect their reputation with their investors? How do they take care of their key employees? Uh, how do they make sure that they're kind of proud of a, a failed entrepreneurial endeavor, which is weird to say, um, but there's a few kind of easy things you can do to just do well by people. And we try to make that make sense if it can. Kelsey, do you bring on uh, in a, a distressed or non-distressed business? Do you actually bring on the founder along if they want to come along? Or do you really try to cut cut those ties and and, and bring them into your system? Bring the business. <laughs> yeah, historically, we have uh, not inherited many uh, team members. We've done it maybe once or twice. Uh, once we did it recently uh, in kind of a more meaningful way than we ever have before as a sizable business and had enough team members where we couldn't absorb it. Uh, certain functions we're certainly going to absorb, uh, but we look at all those kind of opportunistically. We're um, a decent mid-sized business, but I'm not a giant company. I can't just swallow the work of what 20 people used to do. Uh, I don't know if we need 20, but we we might need five or six or 10 or eight of them, but um, maybe not all 20, but it, we certainly can't take on zero in that case. When you're looking at one of these businesses, are you uh, are you actually putting the costs of your ancillary businesses, like the ones that you vertically integrated, into the balance sheet? Like, are you are you treating them as separate companies that you're paying, or are you or are you basically saying like, hey, awesome, you know, three PL is covered, and we don't need to worry yeah, about that cost. We, this is we covered. appropriately cost everything. Uh, we do see some cost advantages though of um, if a business is let's say an eight figure business, they might have a contract CFO. And we have a full-time VP of finance. And yeah, will it be more work for him? Sure. Will we need another person on the staff accounting team? Yeah. But that's a lot less expensive than a contract CFO. So we see a lot of synergies. Uh, our shipping rates and our volume are a lot better than what a lot of other people have. Uh, there's usually something under-optimized in Amazon or Google or Facebook or Klaviyo that we're going to go try to clean up. So we've got like a thesis about the business, but it needs to be right-sized in and of itself. I'm not going to buy a deal predicated on me accomplishing something that the founder with all that effort and all the energy and all that money couldn't do themselves. Uh, we're not going to try to, to do what they couldn't do. We're going to try to do what we know is possible based on the business that's there. Yeah. You know, Kelsey, I've been in this world for, you know, qu quite a while as well. And, you know, we're, we paused all acquisitions yeah. and we're not, 
we're 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 just we're just really taking it easy on 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 making sure that the businesses that we have right now are are profitable and, and yeah. growing. Um, you know, when I look at at the setup um, uh, that you guys have, are you really wanting to like are 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 you thinking about completely pausing right now, just waiting to see what's going to happen? No, we're we're opportunistic. If it makes sense, we'll we'll do a deal on the day of the week. Um, I, I don't I don't see a need to pause now. Is now the best time to get max value for your company? Probably not. If you're a patient seller, that probably makes sense. Uh, if you've got some motivation, whether it's a balance sheet problem, personal issue, health, like there's a lot of reasons why people go to market. Uh, we stay open for business just because that's kind of our, our model. Um, and it fits our, our kind of goals and, and our opportunity set. But if you don't need to be selling today, I wouldn't recommend it. That's really, really good advice, Kelsey. I, I, I really like that because um, I've had a lot of people come to me recently saying like, hey, I think it's time to sell. And I'm like, for what? It, it what was time to sell 12 to 18 months ago. And we, we've all missed that boat. And so now we're all running the businesses together. Um, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm actually looking at some interesting structures, which I'm actually not going to share here. Um, I will share with you offline. I'm looking forward to that. Um, we'll keep it between us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like oh, I actually don't want to share that. Not that I don't trust you guys, um, but uh, but there's some proprietary stuff in the background that I'm working on that I think is super interesting. You guys can ping me if you want to learn about it. Um, one of the actually uh, another question that that has come up in this conversation is, you know, when you acquire one of these businesses without the founder, how do you maintain that drive? Do you have somebody like what is what does that structure yeah. look like? Um, in your companies? That's one of the more challenging aspects is kind of replacing the founder passion or founder expertise in a business. Uh, we, our preference is to look for businesses where that's less of a risk for us and we can operationalize it through shared services. So we have a leadership team that does everything from marketing to supply chain, uh, operations, HR, finance, things like that. Uh, we're starting now at the scale we have to build sub teams underneath the leadership team. Uh, where like customer service is now clustered by brand. Uh, part of the marketing team is going to split off and you know, getting clustered by certain functions. And so it's kind of an ongoing challenge. And we just try to right size our organization for the revenue we have today and the opportunities we have today. And so we'll see wow. um, this quarter, there's six projects that need to happen. And when those projects are done, we rebuild this website, we build this funnel, we build out this Klaviyo account, whatever that work is that needs to happen. Um, the business will be different next quarter. We'll have a different set of problems to work on. And so we're always trying to optimize um, that effort against those businesses through a shared services model, knowing that uh, these are small e-commerce brands. And there's always a million things you could do. Our best use of time is finding the next best thing to do and saying no to items two through 100 and just focusing on that number one thing. Do you have a process for that? Or is that gut? Yes, my business partner, Justin, uh, who runs runs the day-to-day. -day. Um, we try to um, prioritize through um, kind of a basic uh, ICE framework, impact, um, effort, and confidence uh, on like the marketing side. We run the business using EOS, kind of a popular small business management framework with rocks and quarterly yep. goals and to-dos. And so that helps uh, facilitate that. Um, but yeah, each person has a scorecard for the various responsibilities in the business. We're going to look at those scorecards on a weekly basis in our level 10 meetings. And then quarterly, we'll set goals to move the business forward. Uh, and the leadership team meets first, push rocks down to the department level, the department level down to the team members. And that lets us kind of sync up those efforts. Now, we do all that. And then we find a new business to buy or the market shifts. And sometimes things kind of change as we go. But that's our best approach for the problem today. 
I'm assuming you guys are having to uh, continue to fund with some outside capital at, at points. Is that correct? We've never had to bring an outside equity, thankfully. It's just my, my partner and I on the balance sheet from an equity side, but we've done everything for debt financing. So we've maxed out SBA a couple times. We've borrowed all the high interest, you know, Shopify, Wayflyer, Click Further. We've done all those many, many times. Uh, thankfully, we're actually around the corner of kind of paying off a lot of the crazy stuff and just get down to a really good kind of long-term fixed rate debt here shortly, uh, which is exciting. Um, but yeah, we've, we've begged, borrowed, and stolen money. It, it is exciting. Yeah, yeah, Rob, Peter, pay Paul. We do it all the time. <laughs> I, you know what, Kelsey? Honestly, if anything came from this podcast, it's the empathy and and the like, oh, good, you too? Okay, awesome. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, it is uh, annoyingly expensive, but it, it, it's that cost for a reason because it is a, a high risk. And like we look at distressed deals all the time that owe money to all those names I just mentioned and more. They're unsecured lenders, and so they those lenders are charging that rate because they do have defaults. They do have customers that have hard times and can't repay. Um, and I'm aware what the effective cost of capital is. To me, it's still cheaper capital than not ca- uh, capturing the revenue or having a sell equity in the business, neither of which I want to do. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, interestingly, ClearCo uh, is not lending in Canada right now. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I went to go see, oh, I wonder what ClearCo's up to these days. Oh, they're not even, because I'm assuming that this has been incredibly difficult for a lot of businesses and has distressed a lot of businesses. Yeah. And they're the last one. So all the last those line. lenders, um, they don't lend off their own balance sheet. They, they have an operating uh, P&L for their business, then they raise funds then get levered and re-lent out. So they borrow it at X, they mark it up to 2X and they lend it out. And what happened was as rates went up, a lot of those lenders got caught sideways and they started making long dated loans out while their short-term cost of capital went up. Sounds a lot like Silicon Valley Bank, um, which is, uh, yeah. is how a bank works. Uh, and so a lot of lenders had negative net interest margin for a period of time. And as supply chains have changed and interest rates have gone up, I predict we'll see a more more than a few of those lenders um, discontinue business in the near future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, picturing something like yeah. that too. Kelsey, let's get out the uh, the the magic ball, okay. um, the crystal ball. Uh, trying to think what that word was, um, and and look into the rest of 2023 and going into 2024. What are you seeing as far as uh, as far as demand, right, on the consumer side, and then also with deal flow? What what's happening? Uh, from where, you know, the seat that you're sitting yeah. in. Um, let's do demand first. So we are um, heavily buying businesses that have a long track record, uh, brand awareness, moat defensibility. We're, we're buying kind of what I believe to be high quality businesses. And so we can really operate. Is that, is that IP defensibility or is that like a, a certain market segment? What, what does that Usually look like? Usually it's a function of a couple of things. One is supply chain. So either in-house manufacturing or proprietary product, something where it's hard to just disintermediate us by buying something on Alibaba and like slapping a label on it. Totally. Um, so that's kind of the, the biggest cornerstone. Beyond that, it's kind of time in business. And so if you look at any niche category, uh, the longer you're in the game, the bigger your email list, the more brand search you have, better domain authority, everything gets easier. Just all of it's better. And so a lot of our businesses can survive on just capturing demand in their market. And our market share might go up, might go down, but like we can kind of ride the market and not need to exist on Facebook ads for a lot of our businesses. Because um, we're, we're, we're working off of brand reputation, uh, repeat purchase, things like that. So for demand, I think people should be leaning into... Um, demand creation and customer acquisition if their economics work. If it doesn't work for your business, I would look at right-sizing your P&L and actually shrinking 
and getting down to a base of being profitable on just demand capture and just on brand search, category search, email, Amazon, SEO, kind of the, the nuts and bolts. If you can't be first order profitable on Facebook and your balance sheet doesn't let you run in the red, you maybe shouldn't be doing that this year for, for a lot of folks. Uh, on the M&A side, I think that uh, if you have a good business, there's always a good buyer for your business. Uh, all prices today are lower than prices 12 to 18 months ago. If you are motivated to sell, a good buyer will pay a good price for your business. We know what a good price was a year and a half ago. We know what it is probably today. We have no idea whether or not a good price a year and a half ago will reappear in 12 or 18 or 24 or 36 months. Could be never. Could be six years. So if you're motivated to sell, where go you ahead. If you're not, then hang on. Totally. And where are you seeing prices right now? Uh, depends on the quality of the business. Um, I've always been a believer that um, good small businesses, of which an e-commerce uh, business, which I define as a consumer products company, uh, selling consumer goods over the internet between one and twenty million. Um, in today's world, like ninety-eight percent of those should sell for three to five times earnings, including all working capital. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, and that's what we were still seeing. I mean, when we were doing acquisitions, uh, you know, a year ago or yeah. a year and a half ago, that's what we were seeing as well. Was was right in that. Right if you you got four and a half times, you might get just shy of four this year. Uh, if you got six so times last year, you're going to struggle to get five today. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kelsey, this has been such a good conversation. I am uh, absolutely loving this. Uh, but I got to ask you the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast: What is your secret to scaling? Uh, I give you the same answer I did last time. Let's buy more businesses. Uh, I think growing through acquisitions once you have a platform is a uh, a great way to scale your company. Sorry, I want to go back because I did forget a question. I, I've, I've been on too many meetings lately, guys. This is uh, my, my brain's starting to go here. Um, uh, when you're looking at a distressed business, mm -hmm. how are you valuing a distressed business? Because that's comp a completely different game. There is no EBITDA. There is no SDE to go yeah. off of. What are you looking at? Whether we're interested or not is a function of our ability to be pro forma or future-based profitable and cash flow positive. Um, I will not pay you my multiple going forward. It's worth more to me than it is to you. And I'm going to have some thesis about why it's worth that. Uh, I just really candidly, am going to pay as little possible to justify you selling it. So to cover liabilities, transaction costs, uh, most people are forced sellers in that case. And honestly, it's a bit of an unfair advantage for any buyer, me or, or otherwise. Yeah. Uh, the real question is, will I buy it at all? Is it worth yeah. my team's effort and energy and time to go do a transaction? Um, and so sometimes there is no bid for that business. If there is a bid for that business, uh, honestly, the buyers are in the driver's seat. My advice to somebody that is worried about their business is start sooner. Uh, it's probably, if you think it's going in the wrong direction, it's probably never worth more than it is today. The longer you wait, the harder it gets and the less favorable that transaction probably is going to be. If the writing's on the wall, I would get ahead of it early. Start talking to buyers, talk to your lawyer, talk to your lenders, get ahead of that. If you're worried, you're going to have a real problem. Because if yeah, you wait, yeah, that's you buyers and take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to tell a little personal story here. I, my very first business that I ever owned was a Taco Del Mar restaurant, which is a chain based out of Seattle. Um, it was the first thing that I bought. I bought it really cheap because the whole chain was going bankrupt. Um, bought it for $35,000. Uh, ended up putting about one hundred and fifty dollars into it uh, because I didn't know what I was doing. I was 23 years old when I bought it. Um, and I had the chance to sell it. Uh, for 100000 And I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to get everything that I want out of it. Well, lo and behold, a year later, I sold it for twenty five. So 
uh, I always think about that moment yeah. um, and thinking like, oh yeah, I'm not getting everything I want out of this, but I should have sold when I when I had the chance. I'm a fan of uh, studying people much smarter than me, and uh, a lot of them have like these mental models about how to think about the world. And you exhibited in that decision uh, an anchoring bias to your your prior information and the sunk cost fallacy that you had to get your money back. Uh, I've been guilty of both of those things, but that is the psychology yeah. definition of what you and me and every other human experiences. And so uh, easy to recognize in the rearview mirror, much harder to have the discipline to uh, fight when presented with that in the moment. Totally. And this is why I'm constantly telling people, get a coach, get somebody outside yeah. of, of yourself, because you may not even be able to recognize those biases when you start to try to make those decisions. Yeah. Um, and they can step in and be like, hey, Jordan, bad decision. Here's why this is what you're doing. Um, and especially when they, when they make it principle based and make it based on, on truths of the universe, you know, yeah. that, that really helps. Sure. <laughs> Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on. I got three more questions for you. I hope that you're ready. Let's do it. All right. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? Oh man. So like, uh, <laughs> uh I'm out of the day today and I don't use a lot of the tools and apps the team does. Uh, but right now, uh, our performance marketing team is moving everything to triple whale. So they've, uh, chosen that as their attribution tool of choice and, uh, they're happy with it. So we'll go with that. Awesome. Woot woot, triple whale, big sponsor of this podcast. So, uh, go and check them out. Tell them Jordan. And uh, next question for you. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to? Ooh, um, right now in my podcast feed, uh, it's probably not a lot of e-commerce, honestly. Um, a little bit of My First Million, which I think everybody probably listens to. Uh, and a lot of kind of um, just general business podcasts. So like Business Breakdowns and That's Like the Best, uh, Think Like an Owner. Uh, I probably listen to less e-commerce and more uh, general business and investing. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat uh, these days, too. Uh, last question for you, Kelsey. You just found out you have a year to live. What changes? Ooh, uh, I would sell everything and move to someplace tropical and spend time with my family <laughs> and do nothing else. I don't think I've had a single person be like, yeah, I'm just going to work a lot. No, we're going to go skiing. We're going to go scuba diving. Uh, we're going to stop dieting and just eat whatever we want. We're going to have a great time and make the most of it. I love it. Kelsey, thanks so much for coming on. If there's a, you know, a business who's listening to this thinking, hey, maybe this is the time to exit. You know, we're, we're doing okay. Or they're distressed. Uh, where can they uh, reach out and get a hold of you guys? 365-holdings.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I get a lot of inbound requests for calls and, and conversations. 99% of the time, either I'm not interested or can't help, but I'm always, always, always happy to have a conversation. If there's a fit, I'll tell you really directly and honestly, like, hey, I, I want to do something with you. If there's not, I'll try to give you some very candid, very direct uh, advice about what I think you should do from one entrepreneur to another. Uh, if you want to reach out, I'm easy to find. Awesome. Kelsey, really appreciated your time. Thanks today. for having me. Good to see you. Hey, guys, if you're looking to scale your e-commerce brand, you need tips and strategies from people who have actually done it. Stop reading those newsletters written by marketers who have only ever spent founders hard earned money and start reading from the perspective of seven and eight figure founders. That's why we're launching the secrets to scaling newsletter to give you real actionable advice from founders with firsthand experience, get the latest strategies from ad campaigns, budgeting, wholesale partnerships, and so much more sign up for our beta for free at secrets.upgrowthcommerce.com.
Hey guys, just wanted to say thanks again so much for listening to the podcast. If I could ask one favor of you, it would be to share this with your other e-commerce store owner friends. Uh, we want uh, everyone in the e-com space uh, to be listening to this podcast and lots of you guys already are and we really, really appreciate that. One last thing before you go as well is we are offering to our podcast listeners a free e-commerce growth plan where we go from strategy to sale with your brand in this e-commerce growth plan. So feel free to go to www.upgrowthcommerce.com slash grow and apply for a free growth plan today. Thank you all again so much for listening.